Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, it is that time of the week, the best Tuesday you've had all week, and it's time for the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Matt? Yes. There we go. We're off. We got the live stream, live streaming. Mm-hmm. Facebook and YouTube, so you now whatever we say is going to get recorded in more than just audio format. It's going to be everywhere, right? And again, we do this mostly because Matt's so good looking, mm-hmm. uh, not because of me. That yeah, okay, I like that. Yes. I'll, t- I'll take the we'll, compliment we'll and I'll run with it. Continue to run with that one. Like, uh, there's a reason I was offered a radio gig first, and that makes sense. <laughs> so. Uh, Look, we got a bunch of stuff going on, new data points to consider. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily do the typical financial show today, mm-hmm. right? Uh, part of the reason is because I feel like some of it is almost beating a dead horse. Uh, Not a I, whole lot of point in that, is there? No. I mean, here's the good news, right? Today, strong up day in the market. Oh yeah, what did I mean? We finished what two and a half percent over like two and a half percent on yeah. the S and P, close to three percent on I think the Russell one thousand growth. I mean, like, we have seen uh, kind of a risk on move in the markets, and we've seen it for what almost thirty days now. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I mean, we've you know had our ups and yeah, downs, but I, I will it say keeps finishing no, a little absolutely bit not. We haven't seen it for thirty days. But our low, we, we pu- published the low in June, right? We haven't mm-hmm. seen lower lows since June. So it's been 30 days since kind of the yeah. low water mark. And we've but, kind of sidestepped a little well, bit. Well, we had up days and down days. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are definitely up days and down days, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not here to suggest that it's going to only be smooth uh, sailing. Like, well, yeah, oh, everything's no. okay, right? Look, it's been 30 days of up. No, it hasn't. It's been 30 days of chop. Today is up. Mm-hmm. And when you go up 2.5% in a day after 30, you know, 29 days of sideways, it you can say it's up, right? Yeah. And you go, well, this, by the way, is one of the flaws in statistics, right? Because you can kind of data fit it to however yeah, you want the narrative like the to sound. Yeah, it's like the difference between the mean and the median and the mode and some of the different statistical mm-hmm. terms, right? Like, you know, you can... Uh, if you're talking about investment returns, I would often caution people, look at geometric means, so it's the average of the data set over time, and you're, you're sort of blending that instead of looking at just the starting point and the end point, mm-hmm. right? Because I could, like, here's a fun math game. Watch this. You want to see how you can have a positive average and lose money? I actually would love to see okay, this. Check this example out. Okay. You have $100. All right. You lose 90%. Okay, so now I've got $10. Okay. Now, you turn around next year and you make 100%. Okay. Now, how many dollars do you have? $20. What's your average return between those two years? Negative 90 and positive 100. You're technically up 10%. 5% average return between the two years, right? A negative 90 plus right. 100 you spread is it out over two 10 years. divided yeah. by 2, yeah. 5% per year. So your average is positive, but you're down 80%. Your geometric return is negative, but your your average return is positive. You're like, you can manipulate numbers, right? Yeah. That's nonsense. We're not going to play that game. I want to know starting value, ending value, and then the average return spread over In the between. So, yeah. so I'm going to take my my return of negative 80% divided between the two and go, well, that's like you know 40% loss each year. It's actually not that bad. It's less than 40% per year because of the 
way the the losses work, but your your net loss over those two years is down eighty percent. Right. Okay? And so that's what we we care about. Which measurement are we using? Mm-hmm. Okay. But this is not the show about how we can manipulate the numbers today either. Okay. What is this show about, David? Give it to me right well, out I, of the gate. I, I think what's on today, your mind? What's what's on my mind is helping people to reclaim a little bit of grounding in a world that feels very upside down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And some of that is gonna be talking about like why where are you getting your news from and how is that feeding into your mind and how's that affecting your perception? Okay. This is relevant because what I'm here to tell you is that the geopolitics of the day and the advertising methodology of the day and what is the most prolific medium for advertising right now? Fear. Uh, the internet. It's like fear. Yeah. But it's the internet. But, it's not an emotion. Fear is how you appeal oftentimes, mm-hmm. right? Fear, greed. Uh, there, there's only certain motivators, right? You're seeking pleasure or avoiding pain if you're a, a Ooh, Tony I Robbins like guy. I like that. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what you said. Like, we, everything in human existence is like to either seek pleasure or avoid pain. And then we nuance it from there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're the FOMO thing, well, fear of missing out, I don't want to miss out on pleasure. It's my fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's a both. Right. So we, we have different ways we slice it and dice it. But I would suggest that all of this contributes to investment psychology, and that's what drives the market. And my suspicion is that a lot of people are being tested right now because we are getting phone calls and emails and even walk-in scenarios where investors come to our office and they go, we got to do something. I looked at my statements and I'm down a bunch and you know, it, it feels pretty horrible. It's always a dollar amount too, isn't it? Typically. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, how many numbers trap? Yeah. Just so you know, right? How many times has, has someone walked in and been like, David, I'm down 5%. I'm really troubled versus, Hey David, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> Blank number of dollars. Such an astute observation, Matt. Yeah. Because isn't it funny how when everything's going up, we measure on a relative basis, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, my neighbor's up 10%. Why am I only up nine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. But hey, you know, I'm up. my neighbor's down $10,000 and I'm down 12. And you go, well, your, your neighbor has $20,000 and they're down 10. You have $50,000 and you're down 12. You are way better off than your neighbor. Yeah, exactly. Right? You have lost as a percentage a lot less than your neighbor in terms mm-hmm. of the dollars in the account. So relative versus absolute return, very, very important here in having context. Right. Okay. Because I would, I would, and then there are investors that just manage to literally not care. And these are happier people in general <laughs> because these things don't haunt them the same way. They just kind of look at it and shrug and go, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. And my time horizon is long term, so I'm not going to worry about it right now. And they bump along. And they sleep good at night too. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that those people have, they're onto something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because here's what, here's my challenge to all of you out there. If you find yourself watching the markets more and more and more after you've done decent research, okay? Here's here's a trick question. Okay, okay I'm gonna I gotta frame this situation before I finish that thought. Consider for a moment, and I'm not gonna make a recommendation here, but 
people that listen to this show know what's one of my favorite stores on the planet? Costco. Oh, you nailed it too. Yeah. Right? I love Costco. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I heard this rumor they were going to increase the cost of the hot dog to two dollars and fifty cents. Did you write I, a complaint letter? No, no. But I, I almost shed visible tears. Then I was discovered it was a just a rumor, and I almost shed visible tears of joy. Wow. <laughs> so this is a, this is a lot to do about a hot dog. <laughs> I, it's it's just the concept itself, oh, okay. right? Uh, there's I something just, iconic about spending a dollar fifty, isn't there? There's there's just something about the Costco experience. I have to say, as a subtle plug, um, like number two or three in the whole food chain of Costco was walking through the store the other day, and I just happened to be there. And um, I, I'm in Costco enough that I recognize a lot of the folks locally that work there. You mm-hmm. know, we're friendly and all that. And I just had to pause for a moment because they came through and they were talking to us as customers. And I'll say, uh, we'll tell you that this is unsolicited. But Costco is probably my favorite store on the planet. And I was not put up to do this, right? I just want to let you guys know, love it. Super excited that we have one locally in Roseburg. And it makes my life better. Now I got to know something. Yep. How often do you go there for either a pizza or for a pre-cooked rotisserie chicken? Pizza, almost never. Rotisserie chicken, probably only monthly. So not that frequent. Yeah. But uh, we do lots of other stuff. And and we shop there pretty regularly because kids volume. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have the just random gadgets that I totally need that I didn't know I needed. It's true. Like why they come up with something where I'm like, you know, I do need a contactless charging uh, device for the seven cell phones that I own. Like I do, I have one thing that can wirelessly charge, and I'm like, but I but I could charge seven things. I should get it. Would you like to know my Costco trick? What is the Costco trick? So my Costco trick is I never walk in with a cart. It's whatever my wife and I can carry out with our our hands. Yeah. Because it's you know, like, man, if you walk in there with a cart, you're going to fill it up. Yeah. So, 90% of the time, though, I have to turn around and go get a cart. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't. I'm pretty good about it. I'm not gonna lie. I I, I don't just go. You have some self control. Yeah. But I I'm I'm not the guy that just acquire because I have too much stuff as is. I'm trying to you know divest of stuff. But there are occasions when I come across things like you know I did need to get nine volt batteries and mm-hmm. why not buy an eight pack? Yeah. The same price as a two pack. You know? The Saran wrap. It'll last you like two yeah. years. Well, I never know when some punk and a flagpole are going to come together. So there like, you I go. That, right? <laughs> but the thing about Costco and why this matters is, so Costco as a store remains profitable and relevant, stayed open during COVID shutdowns, was deemed essential, right? Sells a broad spectrum of consumer products that include food and everything. In fact, so much so that we were joking one time that if you had to only live in one store for the rest of your life, what would you choose? And my kids chose Costco. They're like, you can get it all, right? <laughs> there's so, a bed there. There's so clothing. Like, you know, there's food. Sometimes there's furniture, there's clothes, There's it's everything you need to survive is in Costco. There's even a swing set for when you're bored. Right. And so I'm like, you know, that's a brilliant thought there. Point being, this is a store that is highly, highly, highly likely to survive and continue to thrive. Very popular, Mm -hmm. okay? What has the stock price done this year? I mean, it faltered a little bit, but it kind of came roaring back. 
Okay, so let's look this up because it's fun. So I'm going to just right. go to, and anybody can follow along if you want. I'm going to go to Yahoo Finance because it's free. And you can look up Costco, and the ticker symbol on it is cost, C-O-S-T. And we're just going to enter that in real time. And so it's at $521 in after-hours trade. Year-to-date, it started the year at $564. So it's It's still. down this year. Mm -hmm. Costco is negative. Now, it got really bad back in like late May, got mm -hmm. down to about 415 bucks. So basically $100 a share off. But see, in April, here's the thing that throws people off. It was over $600 in the beginning of April. Wow. So if you've bought it in April, you've lost money in it. If you bought it at the beginning of the year, you've lost money in it. It has gone up and down and up and down. And the question is, where do you think Costco will be five years from now? Do you think that they will be a stronger company, a weaker company, the same company? They're probably going to be a stronger company. So they, I mean, this is the kind of question that in, I encourage investors to ask. I'm not recommending Costco to you. Mm -hmm. I'm recommending that you think about how Costco gets priced and think. To, and here's the big question, right? Is Costco down in price because it's a worse company that was a year ago? Mm -hmm. Because the economy is different and it's less valuable. Or something else entirely, hmm. right? I have an I idea. Have, yeah, I do too. But I don't think you're going to let us give them that. Before. Obscene yeah. profit break first, right? Stick around, and we'll talk about that. And then we're going to pivot. We're going to get off of Costco, I promise. But first, these important messages. Okay. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 12:40 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Mm -hmm. Matt. Yes. How do we plug the podcast here? How do you find it? Go sure. to our website. Yeah, that's the, yeah. How yeah. do folks find this if you're, if you're just getting onto the program right now? You're well, just they, tuning in. They could go to YouTube and go yeah, to Little John Financial. They could find it there. And if they miss it today, they can go back and go to the website and go to the Educate tab and find the podcast there. Right. So you go to littlejohnfs.com or you find it on iTunes. Just fuck for Little John Financial and True Wealth. Yeah. Okay, you find it there. Okay. Just fig finishing up a thought here so we can move on with life. All right. right. And the thought was we're talking about Costco mm -hmm. and why. I'm not recommending Costco just for all of you. We, we're, we don't do that. That's not the point. It was this illustration of why is Costco a less valuable stock today than it was at the beginning of the year? Can I take a guess? You can take multiple guesses. All right. Well, my first guess is going to be the entire stock market kind of started. There, were, The sentiment shifted, right? Like right. people were like, oh, recession, uh, inflation. And so there was a sell-off that happened across I mean, everything basically but energy, right? Mm -hmm. And stuff got hammered, and Costco was just in the group, right? Like, it was in mm -hmm. the crowd that went to jail. And so it might not have thrown any rocks, but because it was there, it got hauled off. So Yeah. So first of all, remember that when the markets first started to drop, it was pretty indiscriminate. Yeah. Lots of people were just like, I don't want to buy the market right now. Mm -hmm. Sell it. Mm -hmm. And when you have more sellers than buyers... 
drives prices lower, mm-hmm. right? Just like in real estate, if nobody wants houses and everybody wants to sell them, prices drop. And think this. about how much Costco might be out there just in mutual funds, right? Where you're mm-hmm. not owning Costco directly, but you own the mutual fund and mm-hmm. the mutual fund got sold. And so Costco got affected as well. Precisely. So some of this, the, the sentiment, there was some psychology change where investors said, Costco to me, less valuable than it was before. Sure, there was some now, of that. It doesn't matter what the rationalization is. That's the key point. The, the, the trick is that once everything's caught up in a landslide, it's going. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was kind of the issue is that when everything goes down, it, it, like good companies go down too. Right. Right. And so that's what we call a systemic effect. Right? And then the, the whole system yeah. is bringing everything down. And so you could be as diversified as you want as an investor. And your diversification doesn't really stop you when the whole system is melting down. Mm-hmm. And then there was companies, you know, where investors were kind of sniffing around saying, hey, you know, where is there a weakness? And then I think, you know, Walmart was a good example of that where shipping costs went way up. And then investors were like, well, you know, Walmart already has kind of a thin margin. And so if shipping costs go up, maybe Walmart's less valuable. And then we saw that huge, like 20 percent dip in Walmart's pricing. Yeah. Is that accurate? I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes reality simply becomes what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what I mean by that is, does it matter what the cause is if it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah, that's true. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if everybody believes the market's going to go down and they all act accordingly, it goes down. Yep. Okay. Now, longer term, like significantly longer term, we're talking about three, four, five, ten years from now. I say things on this program that, and you're not supposed to pick times and dollar values, right? And because like you can't guarantee the future. But when I say, I feel like there's a 99.9% chance that this market recovers and goes on to all time highs sometime in the next several years. That's why can I say that? And it's not a liability statement because historically that's what happens. Well, and so there's a couple things, right? First of all, if it were to happen, everybody's wrong. Right, even the SEC is wrong. When you start looking on like Securities and Exchanges website and it says, here's what you need to be doing as investors to qualify as diversification and so forth. And so I'm not making a fiduciary call about the whole market. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, largely speaking, the market should be higher multiple years later than it is today because the system is built to do that, mm-hmm. right? We have an expanding money supply. The Federal Reserve is attempting to engineer inflation into the system intentionally, right? It's not an accident. It's normal, okay? The fact that we got inflation running too hot, that was a policy gaffe, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And everybody that pretends like it was a big secret, I would suggest you're kidding yourself, right? And we've all done that. Everybody has tried to justify or rationalize a decision that they made at one point. And then they just hung on to it too long. And later on, maybe you never admitted you were wrong, but maybe in your heart you know anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay? I feel like the Federal Reserve was in that camp. Because most academics outside of the Federal Reserve system have been saying for a while, mm-hmm. this you can't print money like this without inflation. Right. I mean, like that. It's not like, oh, my gosh, how did we get inflation? Well, duh, you printed trillions of dollars and told people not to go to work for a while. It's going to jack stuff up. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
big shocker there. The shock to me was when people would say things like, like the Fed going, well, we're pretty sure it's transitory. That was a shocker. Or it's like, come on. I think it was them hoping they could talk the market into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, okay. Right? I, I mean, think that makes they sense. were trying to guide with their words, and they were unsuccessful. Right? And historically speaking, that doesn't work. It can work a little bit here and there. But the the markets ultimately are going to look Sniff at... Sniff out the truth. They're, they're going to figure out... like It's like the lemmings. When they start jumping... Right, everybody goes. You're like, it, it doesn't matter what you say, right? Right? Like, how do you stop? The, you're like, no, no, we were wrong. The only way the Fed could do something at this point would be to completely flip flop on its position. In which point, the market would have to say, essentially, "Oh my gosh, we've completely called what you were suggesting you would do wrong." But the Fed may be doing two damaging things at the same time if they do that. Mm-hmm. Right? They're shooting their own credibility in the foot. Yep. Right? And they're going to make future policy tools less effective at the same time. Right? So, like, that's the double-edged sword of this one. It's like, well, we're going to just flip our policy back 180. We need to start printing money again. And everybody goes, what? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're dropping interest rates back to zero. And it's like, okay, we're pouring gasoline back on this thing. And... All the people that are positioned their bond holdings or their stock holdings have to completely retool. Mm-hmm. Okay, that would radically alter the supply and demand in the marketplace. How long do you think it takes before we see money printing again? Maybe not in the capacity that we saw it, you know, leading up to this point. But I mean, do we start printing money again? And how? If so, like, I mean, are we ten years away from that? I Man, mean, that's that a loaded is question. A really interesting question. I'm going to tap dance on that one for okay. a second. Um, so first, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Do you expect to see money printing again? I think so. Okay. What makes you think that might happen? I mean, I think we drive rates up high enough to where it's like, well, maybe we got to start doing a little bit of quantitative easing to head, you know, to try and bring the rates back down. So, okay, I'm playing the Socratic method, right? Okay. Everybody that's listening, I'm just asking Matt questions here because I'm trying to tease some things out. I have some thoughts, all right, but I really do want to tease them out from you a little bit first. Okay, um, what are what are the Fed's primary interest rate tools that they can use to to affect rates in the marketplace? Give me give me more to that question. Okay, maybe it's more of a do you think quantitative easing is the first tool in the bag they'd use? I don't think it would be the first tool, but I mean, they've kind of relied on it for so long. Okay. So I think about QE and I'm going, well, they did that in order to drive rates lower, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Artificial bond buying. That was what they were doing. They were, they were the demand side of the curve. They were the, the demand side buying up all the supply from the treasury. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess uh, to answer your question, maybe the first step there would be to quit hiking rates, right? Like That seems pretty basic, but that would be the first step. The first step, I think long before additional QE, you'd see that first, and then you'd see them raising the intrabank lending rates again too, right? So they'd say, well, let's raise the federal funds rate before we can go determine whether or not we have to start doing QE again, Mm -hmm. right? So that's interesting. But 
Good. I've tap danced long enough to get back to your original question, right? Which was how long before I think yeah. we'll see QE again? That's the that's the question. We'll we'll save it for the next oh, segment. Oh come yeah, we'll, on! We'll, we'll, I really we'll want to know. I I bet, but no, no. <sighs> okay. Okay. I'm gonna stay but, seated. But remember the question because at the break, you know, I have this tendency to forget them. Right? Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, and the rest of you too, you can call in or hit us online and remind us. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. And I can tell you where we left off, Matt. Good okay. question. I'd like uh, to know. Reminder you guys can get caught back up by grabbing the podcast tomorrow. It's going to be live stream. There'll be. Uh, on, if you want to go to YouTube, you can catch the live stream. You can fish around on it through Facebook if you want to look in the feeds there and find it too. Uh, but the, the question that we left the break for mm -hmm. right, is you ask me, when will the Fed or will the Fed? I think, but I think yeah. you said, when will the Fed have to start quantitative easing again? Mm -hmm. Which there's something, there's two questions, right? The question in the question is mm -hmm. like, first, will they have to do quantitative easing again? Right. And then the second question is, if yes, then when? Okay, I'm going to answer this one in a slightly unorthodox way. Ooh. Have you looked at the yield curve recently? I haven't. I think it's been a couple weeks since I saw it. Is right. it still inverted? There are still inversions to the yield curve. Wow. Currently, okay. uh, two to three-year rates are higher than 10-year rates. The 20-year is higher than all of them, and it's correct. But the 30-year is below the 20, and it's nearly the same as three-year rates. So we've basically got two inversions. So it's yeah. a squiggly line. It doesn't look right, right. Okay. Now, what that tells me, and this is the thing that's a little bit unorthodox, is that longer-term rates haven't gone up, suggesting that the market doesn't think this economy is going to get big traction and that it's going to run away with inflation. And therefore, you should start to lock your money in at these higher rates, right? It's saying people are still willing to lock in their money for 30 years at relatively lower rates. Mm. Okay. So that's interesting to me. If you expect an economic contraction and you think the Fed may be forced back into the scenario of having to lower rates back down, presumably below the slightly above 3% rate we're seeing on the 30-year right now. Now, the 10-year and I'm, I'm getting these from USTreasuryYields.com, so that's not actually the Gov site, but it's I think it's probably reasonable. 20-year rates published as of 718, which is yesterday, at 3.39. 30-year rates published yesterday at 3.14, but 10-year rates lower at 2.96. Not a huge delta between all these numbers, but it is an inversion. And if you're willing to tie up money for 20 years, at under three and a half percent, then you have to expect that inflation isn't going to materially eat away at your purchasing power. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's like who loans money out that long? And so I don't think banks are going to largely want to do that unless they have somebody else willing to take the risk on, unless the perception is that that's a decent interest rate long term and rates will fall. Okay. How you get there, I'm not sure the mental gyrations to, to rationalize that. Mm -hmm. Feels too low to me. I would not make a loan to somebody else at 3% for 20 no years. No way. I'm worried I would get paid back with peanuts when I am 
paying in diamonds, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going, that, as, as they would say, that dog don't hunt for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, 3% seems really low right. for how hot inflation's been. Well, especially and, because... I mean, look at the 30-year mortgage, yeah. right? Like if, Well, two-year money at 3.15. So I could loan money for two years and get paid 3% or 20 years and get paid 3%. I think I'll commit to two mm-hmm. because if things change, at least I can refinance sooner. Right. So that's the part where I'm like, huh. Now, how does this go back to your question, Matt? I mean, it's using it to project out long term what's going to happen and say, well, if rates are really low right now, looking at 30 year bonds, it's like, well. Yeah. If the short term's higher than the long term. Then we expect the economic activity soften, and if the economic activity softens, the Fed has to do what? They're going to have to lower the rates. Lower rates, or even try to lower quantitative rates further easing. Yeah. with more quantitative easing. So that's, that's an the interesting. Issue. That's an interesting way to look at this. And that's what I'm watching right now: is what is this economy telling me? And if the Fed ends up raising rates to the point that we kind of crush parts of the economy and it needs to control inflation mm-hmm. right but what's happening is the, the, the rates in mortgages for example have spiked way up and it's creating kind of a system shock mm-hmm. and we're seeing like here's other things I, I pointed this out in our investment committee this morning um one of the most active things for the year let's the one month trend negative one month trend in the last month the price of copper is down over 20 percent that's wild considering okay. on the one year trend copper's down 24%. That means it's really accelerated recently. Now copper's a pretty material input cost in infrastructure build out. Yes. So it implies that there's economic slowdown in construction. So now interestingly enough, steel prices year to date are negative 4%, but in the last one month they spiked 91%. Really? Go could figure be that shortages, one. Okay, could yeah, be other yeah. issues, right? There could be supply chain issues with that. But I find it interesting to look at some of these economic metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing, for example, you know, an increase in the spread between two-year and 10-year treasuries. Okay, so if 10-year is getting more expensive than two-year, uh, or I'm sorry, if you're seeing the spread shrink, so the 10-year and two-year is getting closer and closer to each other. Right, where the two-year is going higher. Right, Yeah. that means it's unprofitable for banks potentially because the money, the price they can lend it out for versus their cost of capital mm-hmm. is narrowing. So their margins between the loans, which are their assets, and their mm-hmm. liabilities, which are deposits, it's is getting narrowing. smaller, yeah. So that creates economic headwinds for financials. Financials are a significant driver oh, yeah. of the economy. So I think we could see a scenario where the Federal Reserve is sort of backed into the corner of not only having to raise or lower rates again, but maybe quantitative easing. Uh, it's not a great thing. Right? No, in, it's kind of it's kind of like hitting thing. the emergency button like, well, but let's get real for a moment. Mm-hmm. OK, and I don't care which team you're on. I will I, like you pick the left or the right. Tell me which one of them is the fiscally responsible party. And if you had an answer, I will look at that and say, well, is that your team or the other team? Mm-hmm. And because the trick question is, haha, nobody. It's really there true. There is not a regime that hasn't outspent the prior regime in decades, right? 
we are exponentially increasing spending. And that's not just at the foot of the presidency. That is in Congress. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, for heaven's sake, people, quantitative easing is a methodology to fund the government. You genuinely have to believe that the rest of the world is willing to continue to accept us writing kind of blank checks. Almost. Well, they're, they're <laughs> sort of gray market checks, right? Mm -hmm. They'll cash, but you're going to get paid back with eh, ish, right? I mean, how much are you getting paid back with the dollars that you loaned? Or not the ones really. that we printed. And so yeah. the question is, are you willing to tolerate that or not? And I chuckle and say, well, if the other party has guns, you'll put up with it for a while. But at some point, you may just say, look, I don't have to borrow the money from you if I have better options elsewhere. Mm. And if you wreck your credibility on a like an international scale, the reality is the U.S. dollar is the only currency big enough and liquid enough and more and broadly traded across the planet for folks to be interested. But if you damage its credibility beyond repair, something else will emerge. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there right now, they're going, see, I told you. That's what he's talking about. China wants to do that. It's like, yes. And other countries wouldn't mind too. It's nice to be the world's reserve currency. Right. Right? Because it, it, it forgives some of our financial sins because we can do economic sleight of hand through money printing. But is it real? Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, should houses go up 20% in a year? Right, really? I mean, if you're the one that owned it, you're like, woohoo! Did your wages go up 20% this year? Right, and if your wages go up 20% per year, did you really get a raise if everything else costs exactly. 20% Exactly, if more inflation, too? say, is at 10%. Right. Yeah, and, it's like, and, and this, incidentally, is why I feel like um, minimum wage is really a pile, right? I, mm -hmm. just don't, I don't buy it because for all of the academics out there, it's like, you, you have to assume that employers are all predatory, and the reality is, look around at the unemployment rate right now. Employers have to pay to get people. Yep. This is the marketplace where the employee has massive power, right? And if you don't believe me, you used to need a master's degree to be a teacher. It's true. Right? You the used to need a master's degree. Right now, you need to fog a mirror. Facts. Okay, that's a very... I mean, I'm not... I am not trying to disparage teachers. I'm trying to talk about the desperation of and, getting people yeah. that can be in the classroom that are qualified. And you can say, well, there's a there's a pay problem. I said, there probably is. But there's also a revenue cycle problem of where's the money come from, right? And if you spend it in other categories of the economy and run out of money, you can't just keep coming back to the taxpayer and saying, spend more. 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 Yeah, more. Like, just it's... make more when it's like, but we're already spending more than we have. Where's it come from? Well, we'll just tax more. You do that, but then it shrinks the economy, and then you don't have the jobs anymore. So and now there's you less don't need tax. the job, right? Yeah. So, so like the this, you'll just topple the scale somewhere else. So that's the issue. Now, long, complicated answer to: Will the Fed have to quantitatively ease again? And my suspicion is, yeah, they'll probably get back into trouble again because invariably they overshoot this thing, right? We slow the economy down. All right, kill it. No, no, not like in a good way. Like, oh, look at that home run. He killed that thing. No, no. Kill it like, okay, well, we'll raise rates so high that the economy cannot function anymore. And then people start losing their jobs as businesses struggle. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have to figure out how to, like, inject life back into this thing before. It's like, let's strangle it for a while 
till just on the verge of death and then let it breathe again. Like, <laughs> and then inject uh, it with some money. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll kind of slap it and give it some, ep- you know, some epinephrine and be like, come on, wake up. Like, Throw out a $50 bill and say, move on. Yeah, yeah you're like, dude, maybe we could have just taken a nap or something instead of trying to choke it out. Anyway, it's what can we say, right? At the end of the day, armchair quarterbacking this stuff is all we we get to do that from the radio. We're not in the policy making position. Right. But I will say I probably would have handled things a little different. And, you know, we have a track record on the radio implying that. But that's not politics. That's policy. Right. Uh Maybe it's politics, but it's not partisan politics. That's the good news. Okay, we're long. Let's take a break. When we come back, I don't know, we'll come up with something fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, we will. You got to stick around and we'll, we'll make it up as we go. That's what we do. All right, until then, this is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You listen to the True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM at 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show where it's official. Uh, we're checking at the break, and you know what we want to start doing? So we've got the live stream going, YouTube and Facebook. Of course, we're live on the radio. And for we've had people ask this before, and we didn't do it for a while, but I think it's time to reintroduce to our listeners the art of the call-in. Right? Oh, I've been waiting for this day, David. You're like, please, let's take call-in. So, yeah. And... It can happen a few ways, right? You can actually send us, if you wanted to go to the live stream, You could we get a live feed, so we could see it. You can ask questions in the live feed, uh, or you can call the radio program. Or text me. Right? Uh, and you can text, because they can now text the main line, right? Yeah, text the main phone number at Little John Financial. Yep, so if you text 541-375-0898, we'll get the text. If you want to just call and bring your questions on air, we will approach them. Now, I cannot guarantee that we can get it right. And here's the thing. Sometimes people call and they want really specific advice. And it gets to the point where we go, you know, we're going to have to see you after class. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's exactly the question that other listeners have. And so we want to bring that back to the show. And the way you do that is you call. And the number is 541-673-4464. Can they okay. find that on the Internet somewhere? Is that the news... News reviews. Phone well, it's, it's, or it's is it five four one radio? Like so where, where do they go? Brooks, yeah, Brook Communications, right? Okay, and you can go to five four one radio dot com and you can get through that way too, right? Okay. So they've got the they've been call line. So that's the call in line for KQEN, which is the AM side of things. But it all comes to the same place. You know, we're broadcasting nice. to both stations, and yeah, we want to take your calls. Okay, and so if you've got an investment question, if you've got a financial planning question. Uh, I will say we're not legal tax advisors, nor are we uh, attorneys, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express once, so every now and then somebody throws something out, and we only have kind of a decent <laughs> idea what you're talking about here. Uh, you can stump the host. It's possible. I don't know everything, right? And Matt might. Statistically, how much do you know? <laughs> 73.8%. Yeah. That's how much I, David I, knows. Yeah. If you screen the calls to only take the ones that you know, then, then they're hot. really hot. Right? <laughs> but if you just take all the calls, then uh, you're going to get some that are kind of in left field. But uh, we're pretty good librarians. That's the trick. So if you if you manage to stump us, then we usually are pretty good about getting the answer. Are you saying you 
own the art of the Google machine. Like you know how to <laughs> have Google, right? Have other resources besides yep. Google. Have a bunch of uh, great professionals in our network too. And there is something that I want to encourage all of you listening out there, right? I think it's underestimated the value of a network. Okay, when I look yeah. at the most successful people that I know, they're not the people that work the hardest or the smartest, although both of those things happen. They work hard and they work smart, but they also engage with other people that are similar in nature, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, And I gotta you, tip my hat to you, you know everyone. You're, you try to know lots of people. Yeah. Right? If you wanna be successful, you hang out with successful people, okay? If you want successful habits, copy what successful people do, and there's, there's books about it and there's you know all kinds of resources about it uh, but if you find yourself saying you know I really want to upgrade my life and I don't know how look we're just not born into the station mm -hmm. right that's the key on this stuff financially you're not trapped I think that that is a big misconception not just a misconception I think it's almost intentional Hmm. Right. Because it sets up an us versus them mentality. And it's so useful to folks, especially in the uh, the political science realm. If I can get you to think of you as a different category than somebody else. Now I can get you to vote one way or the other mm -hmm. and think about the advertising and the messaging and the methodology of like, I'm either this or that I'm pro for this or against that. Right. Like there's not we try to take complicated things and st and turn them into a coin flip. You're one side or the other. Mm. And it's complicated. Well, the the success thing, even the definition of success isn't agreed upon, right? But I could tell you, like if you want to be a billionaire, you should probably start by networking with billionaires. Right? Sounds kind of crazy, right? And yeah, they're really hard to access. But your probability of becoming a billionaire will go up. Mm -hmm. And there's actually some really simple reasons why. For one, you'll be surrounded by a pool of resources and other people worth billions. So you can come up with some kind of idea or investment or something else, and they may decide to back it. And when you get that much horsepower behind something, it can often really balloon into something exceptional. Mm -hmm. So the probabilities are actually better of you becoming a billionaire. Like, I don't know, I can't validate this, but my suspicion is if you hang out with billionaires, mm -hmm. yeah, you, it's amazing how people that like come into huge money, blow it. So many athletes make big money, blow it. So many lottery winners get big money and blow it, right? And it's like, why is money so often inherited? Like by the third generation, it's gone, right? The first person works for it. The second person uh, kind of hangs on to it. The third person blows through it. Mm -hmm. If it makes it that long, usually doesn't make it through the second generation. It's hard to hand on value systems, right? So you pass on money, but how do you pass on the values that brought the money? That's the tricky part. That is the tricky part. And so, uh, maybe we're less concerned about trying to figure out generational hookups because you may end up ruining a generational rather mm -hmm. than helping them. Uh, pass on the values more than the resources. If you pass on good values and ethics, they can develop their own resources. So go out there and build your knowledge and build your network and have good behavior, right? 
The reality is you can be really smart, but if you don't execute, it doesn't happen, right? Dreaming about doing something and doing something aren't the same thing. Yeah, You could have a million dollar idea and if you don't execute on it, it's just right? an idea. It's the jump to conclusions board. Mm -hmm. It's a stupid office space reference. And that, that movie's officially old. That's the crazy thing. It was hilarious to me, but I'm dating myself, right? Like, oh, it's definitely an old movie. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't make it not true. Got to got to execute. Give me a final summary for the day. Final summary for the day. Uh, if I were going through the whole show, yeah. is, first and foremost, don't let your emotions take you off of the scent of a good investment. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the, the the habits of successful people are the ones that can look past the noise into the future. And if you want a bright future, copy the things that successful people do and the habits they develop and build a network around those people so that you can duplicate it. And then like down that. the road, learn to teach others because you will never be better at something than if you have to teach it yourself it's to somebody true. else. So that's how I would start is change your thinking to change yourself so that you can teach others to change. If you can follow that pathway, I think you can be really successful. I like that. So, all right. Speaking of changing your thinking, if you need some additional input, Matt, how can they reach us? Give us a ring. Call the phone number. It's 541-375-0898. Or if it's more convenient to shoot us an email, go to info at littlejohnfs.com. All right, gang. Well, look, we're out of time. So we appreciate everybody tuning in. Don't forget to grab the podcast if you got caught up late. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again same time next week. Until then, this has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, well, 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.